0: For they will see God They will see God Blessed are the peacemakers For they will be called sons of God Blessed are those who are persecuted Because of righteousness For theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when people insult you Lie about you And say all kinds of evil against you Because of me Be excited Because great is your reward
1: Obviously, Doug is uh, tired from his long trip all the way to west. Well, I should say the Panhandle. I guess it's kind of west. It's kind of central west, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. It's it's a long ways. It's an eight-hour drive, right? Eight-hour drive, so he's a little tired. So I'm pitch-hitting for him today, and so I'm excited about that. Have you ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Probably everybody has. It's a pretty famous sermon, right? Well, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is what we find is the what's called the Beatitudes. And these are nine standards of following Christ. Some look at the standards as ethical standards, standards that we live by, uh, that we're made up of, kind of, you know, what your ethics are. That's, that's what some people believe these uh, standards are. But really, if you're transformed by Christ, like a, like a new creation, like 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, then these are spiritual standards. Spiritual standards are standards that you live by because of the spirit of god living inside of you as opposed to standards that you live by on your own decree kind of your own your own will okay the word beatitude means blessing in matthew chapter 5 jesus gives us nine beatitudes or blessings each beatitude starts with a beginning like blessed are those and then he puts a word or a phrase in the mix to say who is blessed like Uh, In the first beatitude, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So what he's saying is the poor in spirit are blessed. Then he puts a reason why the subject of the blessing is blessed. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Excuse me. This is a beatitude. You have a standard and then a blessing. Let's look at these Beatitudes. The, they begin by saying, blessed are. Now, this might sound kind of crazy, and I've kind of started to second-guess myself on this. But over the years, and I went through Bible school, uh, I've always heard when someone talks about the Beatitudes, they start out saying, blessed are, instead of blessed are. And so I, I looked up the word to see, you know, is blessed, is that a proper pronunciation of this? Sounds like a King James kind of word to me, blessed, instead of saying blessed. Um, So I looked it up and I didn't really see anywhere that it said you could say blessed, but uh, just for old time's sake and just because you now know, I'm going to say blessed because that's the way I've always heard it. Okay. so instead of hearing blessed, you're going to hear blessed for whatever reason. Uh, Let's start reading in Matthew chapter five, uh, verse one. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Obviously, this is where we get Sermon on the Mount. He goes up onto a mountain and he starts preaching. And he says, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The point of this first beatitude is to say that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by our own works, by our own merit. We're not saved by our own actions. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we realize that we have no hope outside of Christ, saving us in our own depravity, when we're poor and desperate, the poor in spirit causes us to turn to Christ in repentance. We need the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God in order to be saved. We will grow closer to God when we're aware of our own spiritual poverty. There's something to point out here. When Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it said said in present tense, Meaning that we, only, we not only inherit the kingdom of heaven in the future, we inherit it in the present. Poor in spirit causes us to experience God's kingdom in our everyday walk. That's happiness and joy, knowing we have access to the kingdom right now. Paul said that he was the chief of sinners. He's fully aware of his depravity. He could be worse, though. Total depravity does not mean that we're as bad as we can be. It means that we don't measure up to even one point on God's scale of holiness. Blessed is the man that recognizes he's a sinner. I'm going to keep going between blessed and blessed. God is so good, so blameless, so holy, so pure that our spirit is poor in his sight. It's like this. If we're in a dark room and suddenly a beam of light comes from a crack in the doorway, it shines a bright beam of light into the room, right? Kind of like this. In that beam, you see little dust particles that were not seen before. Those dust particles were always there. You just couldn't see them. And then when we, we come to God, his holiness provides a, a beam of light into our dark world, like in a dark room. And we see what's unholy floating around in the air. It's always been there. This unholy stuff, it's always been there. We, we just couldn't see it until that beam of light that, that God is, comes into our dark world. And then now we have this innate desire to not want to breathe that whole unholy stuff. That's what I, do. I see. The dust particles, and I'm like, <laughs> but it's always been there. I don't notice it before, but that's how God is. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we read a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee. We have one guy who is despised, he's known for being uh, a guy that collects taxes and tariffs and being dishonest, possibly stealing. He's a tax collector. And then you have a Pharisee who we have disdain for because we're on the other side of this. We see this now. But the Pharisees were a very religious sect. Very, very religious. And so they were good people. Kind of. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They were known for being good and holy and and that sort of thing. So uh, what happens here is the Pharisee actually prays to God and he says, "Um," He says he's thankful that he's not like the IRS guy. And so. Uh, the IRS guy, he prays to God and he sees his own depravity and he's like, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness and and turns to God. And so who does God bless? God blesses the IRS guy, the tax guy, because he's the guy that sees his own depravity. While the, the Pharisee doesn't even see it. He's too good. So what are you? Are you, uh, are you so spiritual that you think you're better than the other sinners? Or are you poor in spirit, not seeing yourself as better than others? There's a blessing for you, a promised blessing of God's kingdom if you're poor in spirit. Let's go to the second beatitude. You find that in verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we heard about a, uh, a killer goes into a school in Connecticut and kills a bunch of people, mostly small children. And that day, like, a lot of you, I'm sure, I, I sat in front of my TV and I was thinking about those parents that were going to go to <laughs> go home that day, one less child. And I, I was praying for them and I was just thinking how bad it, it would hurt. And I was mourning for them and I was crying as I was praying. But what this beatitude sounds like is, is kind of a different, a different type of mourning. We're going we're gonna to go into that here. Uh, what's actually described here is, uh, is a mourning for the lost spiritual state of those around you. So, in other words, instead of, uh, you know, mourning because a, a child was shot, you're, you're more mourning, according to the, what this Beatitude is describing, the lost spiritual state of that child. You understand what I'm saying? The second blessing for those who mourn is a blessing for the broken. Jesus is saying you're blessed if you can see the depravity of men and feel the urge to mourn and weep. There's a blessing in knowing that you and everyone else are missing the mark spiritually. My Bible describes this mourning as spiritual, emotional, and financial loss resulting from sin that should lead to mourning and longing for God's forgiveness and healing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, For godly grief." Produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, in other words, this godly grief causes remorse or a mourning because of losing God's favor, God's approval, of not being able to turn completely away from your sin. The Bible says that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept knowing the human condition, he wept because he knew that man was not following after his father. And there's a blessing in mourning over your condition because Jesus follows that up with, they will be comforted. That's a blessing because you know you don't cut it. And the only one that can comfort you will comfort you. I like this beatitude because I want to feel God's hurt for the loss around me. I'm too wrapped up in myself to look at other people and see what, what they're missing. I naturally turn away from others. Seeing the lost, mourning for the lost, Weeping for the lost is a brokenness that brings you closer to God. I want to be broken for those around me so much so that it causes me to care more for those around me. I want to mourn for the people that get shot in Connecticut because of their spiritual depravity more than I mourn for the families that are going to be one member short for the holidays. Do you know what I mean? There's a godly grief and there's a worldly grief. Let's go to the third beatitude. This is found in verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does meek even mean? It's an adjective that means quiet, gentle, imposed, or submissive. I like that word submissive. I think that describes it really well. The opposite of meek is imposing your own will, having to have things your own way. So when Jesus says blessed are the meek, he's saying those that uh, that are not trying to impose their own will that follow him gently and are willing to submit to him in that quiet, gentle way, those are the ones that are blessed. They're the ones that will inherit the earth. Something to think about here is this. Not only are the meek quiet, gentle and quiet, when you break the word down in Greek, meek means strong but held back. The, the word picture here is a, a wild horse tamed by a bridle. All this power but held back and gentle, kind of like Chad. Everybody knows Chad. He usually sits over here. He's a big guy and he looks even bigger when he's bald, but he's not bald anymore. So he doesn't look, he doesn't look as, as, as imposing. That's a good word. Uh, he's a big guy, but if you would have seen him in Haiti, our first year when we went to Haiti, uh, you would have seen a, a giant that was giving his food away to the Haitian kids because he couldn't take it anymore. He's a big guy. But you should have seen him when we're standing behind this gate eating lunch and he's like, I can't eat lunch. No, no, no. I don't don't want to eat while there's kids outside this gate that aren't eating at all. That's the definition of meek. All this power, but held back and gentle. Why would Jesus say inherit the earth? That's a crazy inheritance. When my grandpa died, I, I inherited a coin collection. That's pretty cool. Got a bunch of old coins, but inheriting the earth that trumps a, a coin collection by far, any day. To the best of my knowledge, what, uh, what that means to inherit the earth is, if you're a Christ follower, you're a child of God. According to Psalm 24.1, God owns the earth. And we are heirs to God. That means we have ownership in what God has ownership in. Because we're his children, Right? So when Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth, he's saying that we have a blessing that comes with owning the earth. In other words, we can count on blessings that derive from the earth. Psalm chapter 37 verse 11 says this, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Both verses in Matthew and in Psalm refer to an ultimate outcome. not to present day. The inheritance is something that we look forward to. And to keep our eyes on. Every year, Amanda and I, and I know the Washburns do it too, we watch that show, The Big Fat Loser. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, what is it, Biggest Loser? <laughs> I always call it The Big Fat Loser. That's what, that's what I do. Uh, we, we watch that show, and, and usually at the beginning of the show, they have, uh, like the, one of the first episodes, they have all the fat people running on the sand for like a mile, right? And then there's this big goal line and everything. And I don't care who you are, if you're fit or if you're 450 pounds, it's hard to run in sand. It's hard. But all the fat people make it across the line when they're at their fattest at the beginning of the show because they see that goal line. They see what the goal is and they know if I cross that line, I get a cookie. No, they don't say. (laughs) They get to stay another week. So that's what they do. They go towards that line and they're going for it hard. Um, so that's what we needed <laughs> a cookie. I like the cookie part That's There's a prize at the end of that, of that, of, of our, of our life that we get to look forward to. We have an inheritance that's coming to us. So let's look at the, the fourth beatitude. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. During your day, do you ever go without food or, or water or, or something to drink so long that you just become desperate for something to put into your body? Have you ever done that? In Haiti in 2011, Richard and I went to Haiti uh, together, and uh, Richard was, was taking a break, and I, I felt like I, didn't, I needed to be doing something. So while everyone else was sitting down, I was lifting these cinder blocks and these bricks, and I was taking them up the hill. And uh, if you've been there, you know, it's, (laughs) it's, man, it's a lot of work. And when you're doing it by yourself, uh, you know, you got all this frustration in your head. Like, why isn't anybody helping me? So I'm lifting and I'm doing, I I did probably about a half hour straight. And then I had to take a break because as I was doing that, I mean, I'm lifting, I'm bending down. It's 90 something plus degrees. It's hot. And I started to feel real cold and I started to get chills on my body. And I knew, oh, this isn't good. So I went and, and I was trying to sit down and I was, had to go up the hill to get some water. And man, when I got some water, I, I downed a couple bottles of water like it was nothing. I was desperate for that water. I needed that water. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we were to hunger and thirst for righteousness like desperate people needing water, then we would fulfill this beatitude. And this is a hard beatitude for Americans because uh, we live in an age and a, and a day and a society that tells us that you're a bigot if you think that homosexuality is a sin. That you're a prude if you keep your virginity past high school. if you, You're ignorant if you believe in God or if you're a Christian. You're making a bad decision if you live with your girlfriend before you get married. The world tries to make righteousness blend in with the world's standards. And it's not going to work. It's hard, and I know there's a lot of us failing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I see it on my Facebook page every day where people that used to be a part of this church are making bad choices. You think that people stray away from righteousness because they don't see a paycheck in it? They see what they're missing in the world. So why bother with righteousness? This verse, this beatitude, is a promise. Like I said several times before, when God makes a promise, it's going to be done. God doesn't break promises. His word, that is his very word. The Bible, which I don't have any up here. I'll just hold up my phone in my, in my pocket. This right here, this is the word. This is his word. And every single word in the word is the truth. If it's not the truth, then he's not God. That's right, in my phone. It's in my pocket. That's right, Charles. Uh, It's a promise. It's a done deal. He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You don't get filled unless uh, unless you hunger and thirst for it. I didn't get water at the top of the hill in Haiti because I didn't want it. I tried to get up that hill when I was freezing cold and 90-something degrees to get that water. I was desperate for it. If you don't desire righteousness, it doesn't just automatically happen. You need to be desperate for it. And who wouldn't want righteousness? I mean, nobody goes around and says, I don't want to be a good person, right? Fifth beatitude, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. If you've been around me for any length of time, you know, I like to play the game mercy, unless I'm playing with DB who's got fingers like this, just huge fingers. I like to play mercy, and I'll tell you why. In the game, we interlock our fingers, and we, tw- we twist, we turn, we pull, and, uh, until somebody says the key word, mercy. The losing player uh, doesn't just say the word. It's meant for the losing player to, to ask for mercy or to beg for mercy. In other words, please stop hurting me. And I love playing mercy because I never lose. I don't, even DB, I have to just give up because I can't win with DB, but I never lose. And he's the only one that I've ever got that close to losing with. I'd ask for volunteers, but that would, I don't want to embarrass anybody on your your lack of mercy skills. I don't want to cause anybody embarrassment, so I'm not going to even ask. Mercy is a great word. Mercy is God not doing to you what you deserve. He's given you a break even though you don't deserve one. Man, the mercy that God has shown me. I've continually failed him and I've continually sinned and his mercies outlast my behavior. I'm very thankful for Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 through 23 which says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great Is your faithfulness. Because God's mercies never cease or come to an end, He expects us to be the exact same. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Oh, man, do I need mercy? I need mercy daily. And this is a huge blessing, another promise here. It doesn't say that you'll be shown mercy. Even if you don't show mercy, it says that you'll be shown mercy if you show mercy. Do we even want to question God on this one? I don't think so, DB. You want to just stick up your fingers and show them how big you are? Good Lord. I should have used you instead of Chad as an example. (laughs) You want to play mercy with Chad? I'm going to to give him a... (laughs) Sixth Beatitude, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus is proclaiming a blessing for those who have been wiped clean. Do you think that somebody who has not accepted Christ is pure in heart? No. Because the only way we can be pure in heart is for us to continually go to the cross and ask for forgiveness. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continual thing. We have to continually be going to the cross asking for forgiveness. That's pure in heart. 1 John one nine says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Only Jesus has the power to cleanse us. That's very, very important. Only Jesus has the power to cleanse us. Amanda and I have a friend. Uh, her name is Kelly. And uh, you may know Kelly. Some of you do. I know Zach does, and Halib uh, knows Kelly. Um she's, uh, she's an answer to prayer, and she's an answer to our faith. Uh, Kelly came to Texas from the Boston area about a year and a half ago. And uh, she, uh, what, she and her husband, Aaron, are or were self-proclaimed atheists. And uh, this is the, just giving an example of how uh, she hated God. Every time she went to a, a hotel room she would get the Bible out and throw it away.
0: Like, Ooh,
1: that's not good. (laughs) Like, Ooh, I don't know what mm, there's, there's places for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, Ooh, that just kind of gives you the creeps, somebody that's willing to do that. And so, uh, Kelly was the, the wedding coordinator at Elmwood gardens, a wedding venue just outside of town. And, uh, so Amanda and my sister are both uh, photographers. And so they got to know Kelly and uh, they became friends with her and they kind of had the same schedules, you know, with the weddings and stuff like that. So uh, they became friends. And when Kelly was going to hang out at, uh, at my sister's house one, one day for the summer, uh, we were going to hang out at the lake. Uh, Amanda had told her what my job was and she said, oh, great. Is he going to try to convert me? And so for a year and a half, I kept my mouth shut and I've done a lot of weddings at Elmwood Gardens and I got to uh, hang out with Kelly and her husband a lot, uh, over that year and a half. And, uh, but I didn't really, I didn't really sit there and talk to her about Jesus. I never presented to her the gospel or anything like that. I just kind of lived my life and Amanda lived her life and Donna, my sister lived her life. And so, uh, eventually, uh, after about a year and a half, Kelly started asking questions about God. It was kind of a slow process with her and she got to see real Christians. And, uh, she was leaving she was going to move back to the Boston area in New Hampshire and uh, on a sunday and Friday night before she, were, she was going to leave it was her last wedding or one of her last weddings, uh, Amanda was working the wedding with her, and uh, Amanda gave her her Bible because she'd been asking a lot of questions and, and Kelly you know received the Bible and she cried, and she was excited about getting this Bible. And, uh, you just see this change of heart that it, that it was just occurring inside of her. And, uh, she had confessed to Amanda that she was believing that there was a God. And I'm like, yes. So Amanda comes home that night, this Friday night, and she's telling me about giving her Bible and telling me the conversations and the crying session that she had with Kelly. Kelly is crying. My wife never cries. And so, uh, You know, this, this whole crying thing and everything. And I was just like, man, I, I, I've kept my mouth shut for a year and a half and just kind of lived my life and not really ever said anything to her about it other than giving her a hard time and, and kidding her. And I was like, I got to go. I got to go. And before she leaves, I got to tell her why Jesus is important. And so, uh, I decided that next day, Saturday, uh, her husband had come back in town, uh, to drive the rental car back up to New Hampshire. And I waited for him to leave because I knew Kelly was in that spot and Aaron wasn't. And so after Aaron left, I spent about two and a half hours with Kelly and I cried with her and I presented her the gospel. I told her it wasn't good enough to just believe in God. I told her she needed Jesus. I told her that God can only be around righteousness that he's that good, he's that pure, that you can't stand before God and be and spend time with God if you're unrighteous. And that we don't stand a chance. We've already screwed that up. <laughs> We've been sinners our whole life. And there's no way we can stand before a God that requires righteousness unless we are righteous. And the only way that we can get righteousness is to have somebody, an advocate, somebody to stand in our place that has righteousness. And Jesus is the only one. Jesus is pure. Jesus was sinless. And so when Jesus stands in our place, God looks at us and he sees righteousness. He sees purity. When we accept Christ when we accept Christ to be our Lord and our savior and we live our life for Christ. And so I told her this and I told her it's not good enough to just believe in God. You've got to trust in Jesus. She ended up moving, uh, the next day, Sunday and about a week, week and a half ago, I got this letter in the mail and I'm going to share it with you. Cause I told her that for the next 50 years, this letter was going to show up in sermons, and keep in mind i mean it 's been this is in October that she left, okay, so there 's been lots of telephone conversations and a lot of uh, a lot of praise reports and Kelly is uh well i 'll just read this for you there's seven people that she wrote letters to, and my sister, my wife, and I are three of those seven people that we that received this letter. I promise. This is not a typical Christmas letter that updates you on everything that's happened to me this past year. I wouldn't do that to you. This is a little different. I just knew that I had to send a letter to the seven of you this Christmas. You may not all know each other, but together you've played a significant role in my life. As you are probably well aware, I spent 24 years of my life confused, angry, and frustrated with everything and anything concerning religion and God. This chokes me up. I had no concept of faith I never thought that I could ever truly believe in anything. Then you came along. After so many little moments and conversations with each of you, it finally clicked for me. Your enthusiasm, your dedication, your faith, your character, your patience, and of course your prayers, it all came together. You are amazing and your faith is truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for being you and for not I'm sorry, and for helping introduce me to God. The combination of my interactions with the seven of you will always remind me that you never know when you're part of something much bigger. I learned that you have you just have to let God take control. If he's in control, amazing things can happen. And I, I know this was all part of God's plan and that God gets all the glory. Trust me, I've tried thanking some of you and keep getting this response. So really, the purpose of this letter is to be very clear to you that through your commitment to God and your turn. And in turn, your actions and your words, you have changed someone's life. I have a lot to learn and a long way to go. I'm happy to be on this journey, and I'm not, and I'm not taking it lightly. I can never give, it, give to you what you've given to me, but I do want to let you know that I have full intentions to spread this gift to others. And this is the little personal part. James, thank you for your guidance, your explanation of why Jesus, while sitting by my fireplace, was a turning point for me. You've asked me all of the right questions to get me to thinking. Just so you know, now is when I talk to Jesus. I'm sorry. Now when I talk to Jesus, I know he's listening. He talks to me too. This is proof. This is awesome. This is what I live for right here. And this isn't even in my sermon, but we live our life in righteousness not for ourselves. We don't live righteous lives for our glory. When we live a righteous life and we desire to live for God, guess who notices? Guess who comes to know Christ? The second half of this beatitude says that the pure in heart will see God that's the blessing of this beatitude. I want to see God. I want to see God work. I want to see God in all of his glory. I just want to flat out see God. I want to see him. The seventh beatitude says this. Sorry if we're blown into the mic. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's break this down. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, calling him the Prince of Peace. Prince I mean, peace in Hebrew is shalom. You've probably heard the word shalom before. I've heard it on TV and movies before. Uh, Jewish people use this as a greeting. They'll just be like, oh, shalom. I hear it a lot, right? It's kind of a way to say peace be with you. When Jesus says, blessed are the shalom makers, he's announcing to us that we have a task or a responsibility to spread peace, to spread shalom. Peacemakers are not just peaceful people. They're those who actively and earnestly endeavor to make peace. We as Christians are called to be signs of peace in this world that the rest of the world can see. True peace is spiritual peace that you make with God. You're making peace with God. You're not on opposing teams. You're on the same team. I'm about peace, and therefore I'm about God, and he's called me his own. The eighth beatitude that goes with that or that goes along here, sorry. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's define the word persecuted in case uh, you've forgotten what that word means. Persecuted basically means to be picked on, to have things done to you because of, uh, that aren't good, thrown at you, stuff like that, because you're a certain race, religion, creed, or, or even the way you look or act. If you're a true follower of Christ, you will be persecuted. People will notice and people will persecute you and do things to you. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it wouldn't love you. It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who has sent me. That pretty much explains it. If you're following Christ the way he asks us to, then the world will hate you. You'll have people on your Facebook that deny your beliefs and ridicule you for your beliefs. You're ignorant for believing in, uh, in something so ridiculous as Christ. Following Christ puts a light on you that others can see. And if you're following him, people will see that light. And like moths, they'll just be attracted to you. They'll be circling around you, bothering you. That's how people are, to persecute you. You'll sometimes have good come out of it, and sometimes you'll have bad come out of it. And with the bad comes trouble. The second part of this beatitude says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which is a repeat of the first beatitude. I'll take that. I'll take that kingdom of heaven. The ninth beatitude. Verse 11. Blessed, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This appears to be more of the same as the previous uh, beatitude. Although at the end of this beatitude, Jesus says our reward is heaven. And that can mean a couple different things. One, that you get to go to heaven. Two, that your reward is in heaven. Or three, both, you get to go to heaven and your reward's in heaven. Either way, it's worth it. I haven't had a lot of persecution in my life. Uh, It just hasn't happened. Um, no, not a whole lot of persecution for, for being a Christ follower, um, for living for righteousness. It just hasn't happened, but I'm 34. And while I'm young, this is a fairly young crowd. We have varying degrees of experience with persecution. And so I was pretty much respected when I was in high school. Um, when there were parties and stuff going on, I never heard about it because they pretty much knew that I wouldn't, go that I wouldn't condone what they're doing. And so I never even heard about the parties and, and, uh, the bad stuff that was going on. And then in college, I went to a, a Christian university. And so it was more of the same. Um, there were people that weren't following Christ at the Christian university. That's, that's obvious. That's a given. But, uh, because I was looking after God, I was looking for righteousness. I just didn't see the other stuff. All I saw was the good stuff. Rarely ever, uh, was anything, uh, different than that. And then I graduated, and then my adult life, um, I've experienced a little bit, but not much. Uh, It's pretty much more of the same thing. But I've been persecuted and insulted by my own family sometime for my beliefs. Um, In case you don't know, I, I choose not to drink alcohol. But my family, some of my family, drinks a lot, like a lot, a lot. And they're trying to follow Christ at the same time, and so out of their own embarrassment, sometimes I think that they, they, uh, they treat me differently. For example, uh, you know, if, if they're drinking a lot and they're they're a little embarrassed or something, the uh, sometimes I, I've, this has happened before. I'll be standing there, and someone will say something like, "Oh, watch behind you! The the alcohol police is behind you." Like, come on! It makes me feel like makes me feel bad. You know, it makes me feel like you don't like me. I'm your family. And they don't get why I don't drink. One, I'll I'll tell you why I don't drink. One, I don't like the taste of alcohol. (laughs) You know, I don't like alcohol. So why waste my money on alcohol if I don't like the taste of it? That's a good reason, right? Number two is I just don't want to be a stumbling block for somebody's uh, poor understanding of what Christianity is. I'm not saying it's wrong to drink. I don't think it's wrong to drink. I think it's wrong to get drunk, but I don't think it's wrong to drink. And so when my family's, you know, insulting me or whatever about not drinking, it's just like, come on. You just don't understand. Just, it's not what it's about. A lot of people drink just to get a buzz or to make their day go better. You know, oh, I had a hard day with the kids. need a drink. I'm going to post it on Facebook. no. Seriously, there's no judgment in drinking, okay? There's no judgment there for me. But there is judgment if you're posting it on Facebook as a crutch. It's not right. My ex-wife ridiculed me when she left me because I wanted righteousness. She wanted to experience the world. So she felt the need to, to tell me about it. Resentment. As my job uh, at my job as a police officer, I was accused of doing things that I that I didn't do because of righteousness. It happens. Jesus said, don't be surprised uh, when you're pointed out of a crowd for righteousness. Just because you haven't been persecuted yet, don't worry, it's coming. What we learn from these nine staples of faith is this. I'm going to give you uh, two things here. It's on your listening guide. One, We can learn Christ's desires for our life, our actions in life, our thoughts in life. And the second thing we can learn from these nine staples of faith is the promise for those who live out these beatitudes. Jesus is a smart man. Had he given us the beatitudes and didn't put a promise or a blessing on the back ends of of these actions, we would just gloss over these things, these standards, and probably never never even, you know, give it a second thought. Oh, okay. But because there's a blessing at the end of the action, it kind of gives us something to look forward to. gives us something to live for. I don't know about you, but I enjoy being blessed. We're blessed. Um, I want to encourage you this week to uh, to go back to Matthew chapter 5 read over these these verses these nine staples of faith these beatitudes or just take your uh, restoration card home or not i mean the listening guide home with you and look over that i want you to just look at them study them i want you to picture yourself doing these these nine staples these nine beatitudes these blessings i want you to picture yourself reaping the harvest of these blessings inheriting the earth Seeing God, being called God's son. Receiving mercy, that should be enough right there. Uh, Jesus tells us what we can do to be blessed. And so it's awesome. It's awesome. We can't go really anywhere else in the Bible and, and see so much and so little. You know, it's like just in those those verses right there. There's so much in those. So much. So look over those this week if you would, please.